The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day. Welcome again, everyone, to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address. We're coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. You can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at Gmail or like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And again, a reminder that if you're interested in um, hearing this show or previous shows, they're all going to be podcast on my website, www.jewishsacredaging.com. Too many WWWs. Uh, we're going to be right back with our first guest, uh, Lawrence Troster, to talk about some very, very timely concerns about the environment right after this word from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back uh, to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We are very pleased to welcome Lawrence Troster, the rabbi of Kesher Israel Congregation here in um, Westchester, Pennsylvania. And uh, Lawrence is uh, a, an activist on a variety of different levels in the world of ecology and uh, describes in some of the material that you sent me as an echo-theologian which is a fascinating term. Um, first of all, Lawrence, welcome. Welcome to Boomer Generation Radio. Pleasure to be here. Good to see you. And uh, tell me, what is an echo-theologian? Well, I think it, it goes back to, um, to the Catholic theologian uh, Thomas Berry, where you take the uh, modern environmental and ecological and scientific perspective on the natural world, and you see how this has a major impact on your traditional theology. And so that's something that I've been working with now for over 25 years. Um, Today, all of us woke up to more horrible news about um, terrorism in Brussels. And it's another indication of really the interconnectedness of the world. The the Thomas Friedman book, uh, The World is Flat, and um, the whole global interface Probably very few subjects um, speak to this more than the issue that you're involved with about climate change, uh, the environment, that what happens thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away does really do- have an impact here. Uh, you mentioned, and, and you, we, we were talking before the show, about um, Pope Francis's encyclical on this. How, how is this encyclical... Um, impacted your work, impacted the work of climate change, as and 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 could you speak also to really this this global impact? This is not just a local thing. Well, I think it was a game changer not only for the world Catholic community, but for many people of faith who in, were challenged to stand up and respond. And from a Jewish perspective, um, as a rabbi, 
I found great resonance with a lot of what he said. And one of the things that he uh, tr- proposes is what's called an integral ecology. And an integral ecology is is connecting up our moral concerns for the poor and the powerless with environmental degradation. So the one has an impact on the other. And how, this is how? well, uh, for example, the when climate change is causing drought in some places or causing sea rise or uh, causing floods in other places, this is, you know, this is what's happening. Uh, the people who are most affected by it, and this is true both here in the United States as well as globally, are uh, p- the poor, people of color. They have, uh, they're the ones who caused, uh, least caused this. They actually enjoyed the fewest um, benefits from the carbon energy economy, and they have the fewest resources to deal with this. So there is a real um, moral imbalance here, which as a Jew, um, our concept of justice is tzedek, which is about righting the immoral balances. And what the Pope emphasizes is not only the moral interconnectedness of everybody, and he includes, by the way, non-human life, which is really interesting, but also intergenerationally we are connected morally, that what we do today has an impact on future generations that we will never know, and that intergenerational justice, as he calls it, is really, really critical. I mean, the carbon that you and I are creating right now, just by virtue of whatever electronics we're using, will be in the atmosphere for between 100 and 1,000 years. And that, so it's going to have an impact on future generations, our descendants. And so do we have a moral responsibility to those future generations? Well, I think the Jewish tradition and most religious traditions says, yes, we do. So when you, I want to explore this. When you, when you say the, when we use the electron, when I turn on my phone, yeah. uh, when I turn on my iPad that I have here in front of me, um, that impacts the environment? Absolutely. Uh, one, one scientist that I knew estimated that for every megabyte of data that you download, you're using up uh, one pound of coal. And I have a friend in West Virginia who works with a Christian group that's against mountaintop removal, mm-hmm. which is the main way coal is right. mined today. And he says turning on a light is a moral act. Now, you don't want to make yourself crazy, but... I think it's one of those things that you need to be aware of, and you need. That's why we need to move towards sustainable energy, uh, and there's so many ways we can do that, and away from carbon energy. And I know here in Pennsylvania, you know, the gas industry is extremely important, but natural gas is really not that much better than um, coal or oil. I mean, it's a carbon fuel, and it it puts out methane, which is a much worse greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, only it doesn't stay in the atmosphere as long. Uh, So we have to understand that um, using resources is not a morally neutral act, that that we are making moral choices here. So we've had people on the show and and we've had articles, you're familiar with articles, the the so-called, how how should we put it, uh, fossil fuel industrial complex lobby Mm -hmm. that makes sure that the moral judgments don't get passed into legislation. This is still, well, obviously, it is still a powerful entity that yes, we have to is. deal with. So how do you begin, I mean, how do you begin to break through that that um, complex, which is linked, as you just said, to the, to the political aspects of, of maintaining people's power in Washington? Well, I... 
I worked, I've worked in both the Jewish environmental world and the interfaith environmental world. Right. And in, one of the things of a religious environmental approach is to say religious communities can be powerful engines of change. They did it in the past, and they can do it on this. And when you mobilize people of a whole bunch of different faiths, the politicians don't ignore you. And even if you're not going, you, you have to put them on the line. You have to be willing to go to them and say, look, you know, here's what, where we stand on this. You can't ignore what we're saying. And maybe that won't change their vote in the, you know, the immediate present. But there have been groups that have been working out for a long time, and they're not giving up. They're going to every single politician, no matter what they've said publicly, and say, this is where our faith communities uh, stand. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? So I don't think we're the only group that obviously has an impact. Um, there are many great secular activist groups and many politicians, but I think the faith communities really need to be in the game. And that's where Pope Francis has really put the Catholic community in the game. Um, the Jewish community has been in it, but needs to do more, and so do any all the other faiths. So you, you've been involved with an organization called Green Faith? That's correct. And, and you were one of the founding members? Well, I, was on, I got involved very early on when I moved to New Jersey in 93 through mutual friends. I met the uh, Episcopalian uh, a priest who was the founder of it, and I was on the board for many years, and then I started working for them. Uh, it's an interfaith coalition in New Jersey that started off as a New Jersey entity, but now really works both on a national and international scale with religious communities. So what does it do? What does it do? Well, it um, it does leadership training for religious leaders. It um, helps congregations um, green themselves, not only in terms of facilities, but in terms of uh, education and social justice programming. And it's been heavily involved um, with the movement worldwide to support the Pope in his encyclical, to push for a strong treaty at Paris, and now working to see that that treaty is um, is actually followed. Why do you think that there's still such uh, hesitancy on the part of official United States policy to sign off on all these treaties? I think that um, partly it's to do, I think large partly it's to do with the power of the uh, the carbon uh, companies, the carbon fuel co uh, companies. They have incredible power um, in, in both on a local as well as on a national and international level. They're some of the largest corporations in the world. And they have a vested interest in in not having this stuff just, you know, switching away from their product. But they're only thinking in the short term. I mean, in the long term, we have to make this move. And we're on a very dangerous precedent, the scientists tell us. If we don't do something very quickly, it's gonna, there's going to be runaway climate change. And nobody knows what kind of world that will be. And as someone who is both a parent and a grandparent... I am deeply concerned about the future for my family. Well, when we were talking before the show, you mentioned that when I asked you really what got you into this, you, you mentioned your grandchildren. Yeah, Talk exactly. to me about that. Why, why your grandchildren? What was the genesis of that? Well, in the, in the mid-1980s, when my daughters, I have twin daughters who are about five or six years old, I, that's when I first learned about climate change. And I looked at them and said, my God, you know, I may not be around when the impact is this is going to occur, but their children, well, it turns out things have happened faster than, you know, the impact of climate change is happening right now. And now I see my grandchildren and I wonder when they get to be my age, what kind of world are they going to grow up in? I grew up in a, you know, nice middle class family and we didn't want for anything. And I went to summer camp. And is that world still going to exist for them? And I also have to think beyond my family. 
to people elsewhere in this country and elsewhere in the world. The the um, issue of uh, wind power, solar power, it, you're an activist. You've been doing this work for decades now. Um, what's our best alternative, Lawrence? What's our best alternative to the fossil fuel industry? Well, the cheapest thing to do is energy efficiency. We are incredibly wasteful. The biggest bang for your buck is to, is to become energy efficient. Define that. Well, for example, a lot of people leave their computers on overnight. You know, right. leaving on electronic devices uses up about 4% of the electric power in this country. That's a huge amount. Um, we should all be eating a little lower on the food chain most more of the time. In other words, fewer um, meat-based and cheese and eggs and things like that because that the agricultural production causes a lot of climate change. So it doesn't mean we all have to become vegans, but if we all lowered our intake about, you know, by some, that would have an impact. But also, I think that sustainable power like wind and solar and there's other sustainable power that's also coming online is the way to go ultimately because uh, it's growing exponentially. Uh, there's a heavy investment in it in many countries. And um, we've, we're doing a lot here now in this country, but we could be doing a lot more. I mean, we're subsidizing the fossil fuel companies that don't need it, and we should be putting that money into sustainable power, which will create a lot of jobs, too, right. what they call green jobs. So that's the future. It's going to happen one way or the other. The question is, are we going to be on, it or, on the bandwagon or not? What's the country? Are, are there other countries other than the United States who are really leading the charge here? Or really, uh, it, Germany has switched, um, has got shut down all its nuclear power plants and has switched to solar and wind power for a large part of their economy. Uh, China, despite its problems, knows that there's a problem here, and they are now become one of the largest producers of solar panels. So they recognize the problem, even while you know there, there's kind of countervailing forces there. But uh, the European Union has actually done pretty well on this. Really? Oh, yeah. And, of course, Israel is one of the leaders in developing solar technology. Right. We're speaking with Lawrence Truster, the rabbi of Kesher Israel Congregation in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and and is here as his role um, as an activist in the area of climate change and the ecology and the environment. And we're going to be back with... uh, Lawrence, right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Hi, welcome back to our first segment here on Boomer Generation Radio today uh, with Lawrence Troster. Uh, economic, uh, environmental, and economic probably, <laughs> but environmental activists, um, a rabbi from a uh, congregation in Westchester, Pennsylvania, uh, rabbi of Kesher Israel congregation, but here to speak about his role as a clergy person, an environmental activist, getting involved in this some 20 years ago, as as he mentioned, really through his own daughters, and now, and I, I, I'd say it's correct to say and continuing to be inspired by your grandchildren absolutely interfaith work you alluded to this you're involved with an interfaith 
Where is the interfaith community nationally? It, it, there seemed to have been a, a, a rise in this maybe a decade or so ago. Uh, remember Earth Day? Yes. Uh, in the 70s, my God, everybody was Earth Daying. Why, why doesn't why isn't this movement still at the forefront, or I'm just not aware of it? Well, I think you're you're right to some extent. In the early 90s, there was a big, big push to create interfaith responses to the environment, and that was the creation of the National Religious Partnership for the Environment, which then created four subgroups of which uh, COJOL, the Coalition on the Environment and Jewish Life, was one of them. Um, Ten years later, that kind of faded a bit, but there are national uh, interfaith environmental groups like Green Faith and also Interfaith Power and Light, which actually has a very active group in Philadelphia and in in, uh, this part of Pennsylvania. Um, There are other more localized groups. There are a couple of uh, international things, but I think it's growing. And as I said at the beginning, I think Pope Francis's encyclical and also his personal activism on this has been a game changer because you find in other countries of people of other faiths, there are environmental activists who are doing this from a faith perspective, like in India or in Muslim countries, um, Buddhists. Uh, and I think it's it, there's a lot going on in the grassroots level, a mm-hmm. congregational level. So things you don't necessarily hear about in the national press as much. Uh, but I think more and more congregations are really putting this on their agenda. As an activist, um, as somebody who's written on this, who speaks on this, who who understands the nuances of this, talk to me about your reaction. We're in the middle of this presidential, allegedly presidential campaign where climate change sometimes is used as a political football. Yeah, and other times it's not even mentioned at all. In other words, that one of the Democratic debates early on in the season People noticed, you know, here it was, CNN was hosting it, and n- not one question about climate change. It, unfortunately, it, the, the mainstream media often misses the boat on this in assuming that most people don't, don't, don't care about it. But in fact, when you actually ask people, they do care about it, and they're deeply concerned about it. So to me, not to ask every candidate in every level of election, well, where do you stand on this? And why are you uh, countering you know, the scientific evidence? I think it's a critical thing that everybody should be asking their politicians from whatever party. So why do you think it's not being asked? Because people haven't seen it happen in their own lives in this country. Uh-huh. I mean, you talk to people in the New York area after Sandy and people rightly or wrongly connected that to climate change, Hurricane Sandy, um, Hurricane Katrina. So people all of a sudden became a lot more aware of it. And it shouldn't wait for those kinds of disasters. And this is why I think religious communities need to educate their own members about this and to speak out about it, because that's going to raise the public profile. And the more people talk to the politicians, the more likely they are to uh, to do something about it because they just assume people aren't interested. So let's go let's go back to congregation land as I like to call it. <laughs> um, we've both uh, you know uh, served and and on, and you are still serving in a congregation. What can that individual church, synagogue, mosque do? The the the, the, the religious leader uh, says this is something that is a as you pointed out based upon a religious and moral system. I need to bring this message to my congregation. Um, What can a congregation do? 
Well, it's important that the leadership be on board. If the leadership's not on board, you may have a few people who are heavily involved in local environmental stuff or the Sierra Club or whatever, but it's not going to go very far. So the, the religious leadership, first of all, has to talk about it, preach about it, teach about it. Secondly, there has to be a coordinated plan on the part of the community, the creation of what we call a green team, to put into place a two- or three-year plan, starting with small steps like energy efficiency, changing light bulbs, doing recycling, and doing educational programs and, and doing social justice programs based on this, starting a community garden uh, and giving away the, you know, the, the fruit and vegetables to, uh, to local um, you know, uh, shelters or to food banks. Right. It, means, it means creating alliances on a local and a regional level with other congregations. There's a step-by-step approach to this that can have a real impact not only on the institution itself but on its members who then learn how their religious tradition you know, supports environmental action. Uh, and I know this to be a fact because I've been taught by many other religious communities, you know, what they say about this. And we may come to it in different language, different terms, different texts, but essentially we're all on the same page on this one. And this is not one that's going to cause controversy between communities. It's a, it's a something for the common good. I remember uh, back in the back in the nineties um, when I was involved in. in developing or being a director of a region of congregations here in the, in the area when the birth of this movement I remember having these meetings and in the Philadelphia area for congregations we made this available to congregations actually some did it these energy audits yes there's a team would come into the synagogue or the church and they would go through the building and say these lights should be replaced by these lights um uh, the various types of energy thing are those things still exist oh yeah absolutely uh, my congregation now just recently had that and we're going to be in- implementing changes that are going to save us a huge amount of money on our annual budget because of uh energy efficient heating and cooling are this the biggest area right but also um uh in terms of lighting and for a relatively small investment, we, it's going to come back to us what many a, what times about over. Ins, in, I remember people talking to me about this, about insulating windows. There's all kinds of ways. Um, what you need is to get a person in who's not just someone who does energy analysis in general, but one who's used to working in congregations. And that's where groups like um, Green Faith and Interfaith Power and Light help congregations find somebody who is an expert for religious institutions, which is very different than like a store or a home as to when it uses its power. Right. So if I'm interested in doing this, if I'm a member of a congregation right now and I maybe yeah. listen to this and or I may be a colleague where and I say, you know, I'm, that doesn't cost me anything to do this. And maybe it's going to impact the bottom line of my congregational budget, which is always a number one priority. Where do I go to start learning about this? Give me a website. Do I, well, go know, to go to the Interfaith Power and Light. Um, go to greenfaith.org, um, Interfaith Power and Light, you know, is also .org, and um, both of them have huge amounts of congregational resources on all of these issues. And um, so the material is out there, it, you know, it's just finding it, and it's not that difficult, it's not difficult to find, believe me. We've talked, you, you mentioned the Pope's encyclical. Yeah. <clears throat> To your knowledge and experience, uh, have the other major religious denominations, uh, groups in the United States of America made similar pronouncements policy-wise? Oh, yeah. Every, uh, I think you'll find this on some of these sites. They collect 
statements by religious groups, and every major religious denomination has made um, something, uh, public statements, policy statements on climate change and environmental issues. Even fundamentalist religious Some evangelical groups, yes, have actually been uh, doing this. Um, when the uh, National Religious Partnership for the Environment was founded in 1993, there was an evangelical group that was created um, as part of it, and they're still active. We have just a couple of minutes left in this segment. Uh, walk me through if you, you know, if you assume that you have this huge auditorium of religious leaders, clergy, lay people, and you want to condense everything that you want to tell them into about three or four major issues. What, what are the three or four top, top headlines that you want to give these people? I, I really want to talk to them how climate change is something that affects all of us now and in the future. I want to talk about environmental justice, how um, the poor and people of color in this country and in other countries are, are the ones who are most affected and have the fewest uh, resources to deal with it. I would want to talk about how they should educate themselves in their own traditions, ideas about this, and lastly, how they um, can work in their, get started in their communities to shift uh, their focus towards dealing with this issue. Uh, thank you very much. The, the moral aspect of this, I think it's uh, uh, so many times the public media talks about the economics of this. Yes. Uh, but for the religious perspective, the moral and ethical uh, command uh, to get involved with this, because I think, as you said at the beginning, this is not something you are just now. This is for our children and our grandchildren. And I'm, uh, the religious traditions that are represented in this country do have a sense of uh, this. You know, we're here to as, as a renter so much. Yes. In a, so to speak. And that we have a moral obligation to turn over to our next generation, safe environment, healthy environment. So in that sense, uh, what you're doing is, is this major moral and ethical act. So I thank you very much. You're very welcome. And uh, Lawrence Troster, continued good luck in this. Uh, good luck with the congregation and equally good luck with um, educating your community and the rest of us on this very, very, very important issue. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. I want to remind all of us uh, about a friend, uh, the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott, uh, Peter and his group, which provide concierge financial consulting and planning services. And they use uh, what they term as a formal investment process as a foundation uh, to their clients uh, who receive frequent and uh, rapid response to questions. Uh, Peter and his group also constantly are in touch with uh, you as a client, scheduling uh, regular visits and updates. They provide an experienced guidance and an efficient management process. And as you know, in today's volatile uh, financial world, uh, very, very few things are really more important to any of us than trying to figure out how to make sense out of this. And uh, the Hecht Investment Group does that uh, in a very, very personal and professional way. They also um, help you through the uh, Janney Investment Banking Department uh, provide middle, middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. I want to remind you also, we'll be speaking more about this as we get closer, that the Hecht Investment Group during the course of 2016 is going to be conducting a series of workshops on such issues as um, uh, electronic security, social security, cybersecurity, uh, end of life finances and medicine and ethics dealing with that. 
For more information, we encourage you to call the Hecht Investment Group at 856-291-5028. Their toll-free number is 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. Speak with John Connors for more information. A reminder that the Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook, and that Jenny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. That's the Hecht Investment Group of Jenny Montgomery Scott. To take us from our first segment and bridge us musically to our second segment, we've been having some nice times with um, some old... Linda Ronstadt stuff. But this is a Linda Ronstadt, uh, Frank Sinatra duet. It's really a very, very pretty piece of music.
warbling of the meadow lark. Moonlight in Vermont. Snow light in Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And again, we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. You can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com and like us on the Boomer Generation Radio page on Facebook. And we are delighted to welcome uh, from the beautiful area of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Denise Letow from Wells Fargo. Um, Denise, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How's uh, Fort Lauderdale today? It it started out a little bit cooler, but it's supposed to get up to about 75. Sounds good to <laughs> me. Good baseball weather. Sounds good to me. Um, right. Welcome. So, Denise Letal, Vice President of the Senior Trust and Fiduciary Specialist Life Management Service. That's a lot to get on the T-shirt uh, from the <laughs> Wells Fargo Private Bank. You're in Fort Lauderdale, and we want to talk about... Um, Something that, that probably is counterintuitive to most people about financial services, because most, most people will go to say, we'll have a, a financial advisor, they'll have their best friend, uh, you know, baby boomers trying to figure out things of the future. And yet here we are dealing with Wells Fargo Bank. Uh, what's a bank doing in the aging business? Well, it's actually the whole program of life management services was created at the actual demand of our clients uh, because many found themselves in a situation where they needed additional assistance. Uh, They were, as we all are, going through the aging process, and they wanted to have professionals involved that could oversee some some of their care management issues um, and we were able to actually create a program and provide the service, and we've actually had the service in place since 1997. So is, are you the only bank that does this? We have been the only bank up until about three years ago, um, but their services are not the same. I'm actually in-house, and I'm coordinating any type of service that a client may need, whether it's health care planning, coordination of bill pay, filing insurance claims, assisting and coordinating Medicare and Social Security issues, mm-hmm. um, these things are typically being um, provided to 
as somebody who's not in-house by other institutions, and we are actually in-house at Wells Fargo. So what are, give me the, the most requested services uh, that, that one of your clients uh, asks for. Well, as, as, you, as you pointed out in the beginning, most people are with a financial advisor, and then they reach a point where um, bill pay and coordination of taxes becomes a bit burdensome. So they start reaching out around that point where they're having difficulties keeping up with bills. They're feeling burdened by uh, trying to, you know, get all their tax work in order and so that they can get it to their CPA. So that's typically how the requests start with a financial advisor. The financial advisor may also notice that that individual um, just is not as... Uh, you know, as as vibrant as they once were, and and quite often a financial advisor may reach out to us and say actually to us that you know we have a client, um, we think perhaps this might be the better route for them to go, and what this also does is it it provides a, a safety net because quite often people become vulnerable at this stage and they start looking towards individuals that may not have their best interest at heart. And, you know, because we are a large financial institution, we do have our reputation on the line, and we also have very deep pockets, um, a client can feel more or less assured by having us carry out a lot of these various services for them. We, we are definitely held accountable at, at the very highest standard. So, Denise, you, you alluded to in between the lines of what you just said, um, Somebody comes into you, or a client comes into you, or life uh, management service, and says, "You know, I'm getting these email. Here's a here's three letters, and, and I got an email from the IRS, and mm-hmm. you're prepared to walk them through these the scams and say, here's how you can really not fall victim to an uh, an older adult scam, which is we've done shows on this, which are very very prevalent and evidently getting right. more so." How do you do that? Right. How, how, how do you how do you do that? Well, quite often we do. I, I'll have a client call me and say, "I just received this letter in the mail. Um, they're asking me to sign up for this particular service. Uh, you know, what is this? What is what is what do you think this is?" And we do. We really identify um, the various scams, ongoing and and more prevalent scams that are out there. Um, we also provide an additional kind of security type of alert system, and then we also do seminars on identity theft and some of the other scams that are available that are that are causing some of our clients to, you know, provide their social security numbers, perhaps give out credit card numbers, things like that. So, yes, we, we are we're definitely training them. We're also telling them, you know, the IRS does not call you, mm-hmm. so do not, uh, you know, fall for one of those or types of scams. Or send you emails, probably. Or send you emails. Uh, these are the types of things that really do not occur, but it's very unsettling for a lot of these individuals because the world has changed so rapidly, and they're they're somewhat unsure. Um, you know, is this legitimate or is this not legitimate? So most of them do, fortunately, reach out very quickly um, before getting involved with some of these things. But these are the people that you know are actually utilizing our service. There's a lot of people out there that are unfortunately falling prey to some of these things. I want to imagine, look, you're in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, so it's no secret that uh, you have a significant amount of uh, older adult population. 
Mm-hmm. Is this is this localized? Is this life management service just localized in in the Southern Florida area, or no. can anybody this walk is, into any Wells Fargo branch and get this? Well, the way this this works is this is this program is nationwide. You will be able to go into your local branch and ask about the service, and they will refer you to one of my counterparts. Um, I cover, I sit in Fort Lauderdale, but I actually cover, you know, Palm Beach, so northern uh, Palm Beach County all the way through uh, Miami-Dade. And most of my counterparts also have areas that they that they cover within the various states as well. Um, in Florida, there are currently three of us. Hopefully, there will soon be more. And, like, we're, we're all over, we're all over the country, however, mm-hmm. uh, so that this is something. So if you're in California, or even if you're in Philadelphia, or if you're in New York, um, there is somebody there local that will be pre- be able to provide the service. I got to ask you this question too, because it comes up all the time, and I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, well, I can't be sure of anything, but I'm going to assume, which may also may be a mistake, <laughs> that, you, that you've had this experience as well. So I, I, I live in southern New Jersey. Uh, my uh, mom and dad are in you know Boca West. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I have a sense that something's something not right financially. I, I they they keep complaining. They they're a client of yours. Can I how do I can I call you up long distance and say, look, my parents are are clients at your at, at your bank, um, and I have a funny feeling that they're they're telling me things. Is there some way that that we you can manage this or get in touch with them? I have a funny feeling that something's going on financially, that something's not right. Do you get involved with this long-distance caregiving aspect? Absolutely. A lot of times I am actually hired by the adult children. Uh-huh. Uh, they will reach out. They are quite often in New York or California or Chicago, or they have, they're very busy professionals, and they will reach out with a concern such as this. In fact, I have a gentleman uh, in, Bo- in the Boston area who's, whose parents are down here and he has requested some assistance there you know there unfortunately there are these scenarios where there's a belief that the caregivers are taking advantage uh they would like for somebody to investigate that um go in there and and possibly find out if that is in fact going on and and I quite often am put placed in the situation of having to fire and replace these individuals we only use companies that we have thoroughly vetted um, and we ensure that they are properly licensed, bonded, and insured. Um, and we do extensive background screening checks on anyone who comes into contact with any of our clients. And unfortunately, the caregiver type of taking advantage of, of some of the older population is very prevalent down here in Florida. We're as spe- I'm sure it is across the country. Yeah, it it seems to be a growing phenomenon, and and frankly, as baby boomers age, and may have may have encountered this with our parents, mm-hmm. uh, we don't know how sophisticated our antenna are, so that we don't get taken advantage of, and and the identity theft stuff is is excruciatingly important. Uh, we're speaking with Denise Letow uh, from the Wells Fargo uh, Bank. Uh, Vice President, Senior Trust and Fiduciary Specialist, and involved with the Life Management Services at Wells Fargo Private Bank. Uh, she's talking to us from Fort Lauderdale. We're going to be back with Denise right after this message from our friends over at Kendall. 
Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio, uh, speaking with Denise Letow from Wells Fargo Life Management Services. Um, Denise, in the information that you sent me prior to the show, um, mm-hmm. there's this very, very interesting paragraph under, um, under the Life Management Services uh, little brochure about complete coordinated service, and it's a fascinating line that uh, the Life Management Service provides customized care plans based on individual needs, resources, and goals, starting with a comprehensive assessment of each situation, including an evaluation of physical, medical, and psychological requirements. Your bank does that, and how do you do it? <laughs> I mean, how, I'm very serious. I mean, I, this is yes. how do you yes. how do you assess the um, physical, medical, and psychological requirements of someone? Well, what happens is, is when someone first um, signs on for life management services, we will arrange for what we are calling an initial health and wellness assessment or review of, of our clients. And that's really what we are doing. We typically will, for that portion, engage a nurse who will sit down with the client um, review the medical history, the psychological history, any medications the client is, is currently taking, um, any physical limitations or psychological issues that the client may have. So we are doing a very extensive assessment to really to assist the client, but also to let us meet them where they are currently, which is very, very um, crucial for us to be able to establish a relationship so that we can assist them. And one of our main goals is to assist our clients to maintain their personal independence. And the only way that we can really do that is to really get to know them and to really find out what their wishes are. And, and to know their likes and their dislikes. And that's really the only way that we can, you know, fulfill our promise of, of helping them to maintain their independence because they are determining the rest of their transition. They're saying, this is how I want to live the rest of my life. And this is how I want to, this is how I want you to assist me in doing this. And, and that's really, that, most of that piece is provided by a nurse. I am typically also there if, if the client is, is not against that, um, but I, I've always been uh, also there while we were going through this process, and um, they don't find it intrusive. So we know, based on the information that we have, this is how we can make recommendations also, you know, whether the home setting is the appropriate setting. Maybe they would have a better quality of life if they tried a different, a continuing care com- retirement community, for example, or some other independent living setting, if that's possible. Um, is this environment safe, given some of the issues that they may have? So we're trying to give an overall and a holistic view 
of what's in their best interest and what's going to make them feel, you know, happy and and the the sense of of having a greater quality of life. So, I walk into my Wells Fargo branch mm-hmm. in Palm Beach Gardens, let's just say, right. and. I want to sign up for life management services to get this comprehensive analysis um, and and care plan tailored to my needs. Do I have to pay for this, or is this part of my? Is this free? No, you definitely. The way that this works is that our clients will have investments with us. So when we first uh, started talking, we, we had the scenario of a financial advisor uh, typically handling the investments for a client. Now, they may walk into a branch, notice perhaps one of our life management services brochure, speak with a personal banker at the branch and say, you know, I'm interested in that program or this program, and what will occur is that that banker will typically set up a meeting between me or one of my counterparts uh, with the client, and they may already have investments with, with Wells Fargo, and if they do, that, of course, is fantastic. But if they're walking into one of our branches, they typically already have some sort of um, relationship with us. So what we're going to do is say, you know, this is really the the criteria in which to utilize uh, these services, and this is an actual an addition fee, an additional fee to their to the regular investment fee that we have. So they they would be charged through their investments. Correct. Correct. Now suppose so I, I'm not a, a, an investor in Wells. I don't have an account or you mm-hmm. know, a portfolio at Wells Fargo, but I hear about this and say, "Wow, this is a pretty good deal." You know, uh, so right. I go to my Wells Fargo branch. I'm, I have no relationship. Can I avail myself of this program, uh, or do I have to then deposit something or transfer money into Wells Fargo to become eligible? You would have to transfer funds into Wells Fargo in order to become eligible. And this is a, a question that I receive a lot and that also makes a lot of people somewhat unhappy because they might say, well, I really like the way that I currently have things set up um, and my where I am now doesn't really offer this. But um, like I said, this, this program was really tailored as as an additional service for our existing clients who who reached out to us and said, you know, we know you, we trust you, you know us, please assist us as we're trying to, uh, you know, carry on with our life's journey. So that was that's really the focus um, be, behind our program. Um, you mentioned on on some of the brochure, some of the information that I that I was mm-hmm. studying before the show that that you. It listed here um, healthcare coordination, probably the mm-hmm. at the top of the list of concerns uh, link, linking with financial security uh, for right. our generation is this whole thing with healthcare. And, and you you say that if I sign up for this life management service, you're going to able you're going to be able to help me coordinate uh, Medicare. Uh, Medicaid, other insurances, and walk me through the maze of all this? Is that true? Yes, that is true, and we also provide uh, medical claims processing as well. We're going to be able to walk you through that maze, and when you're no longer willing or able to um, (laughs) 
want to go through that maze, we're going to take over uh, that responsibility for you or, or do it for you um, so that you're not concerned with it. But we do, um, you know, work very closely with healthcare professionals. So for we do know really what the best in our various areas, you know, Pretty much in, in terms of healthcare, where the best hospitals are, the best rehabilitation centers, uh, the best physical therapists, uh, you, you name it. Uh, we are going to help assist with Medicare. Um, quite often I'm finding that a lot of uh, individuals have not signed up for Part D. Um, we are insisting in enrolling in some additional uh, benefits that they haven't previously utilized uh, when that makes the most sense for them. Uh, if they are in a, uh, if they do have to go to rehab or end up in one of these situations, we're going to be there advocating for them um, along with the family if they would like for us to do so. And unfortunately, quite often, family is not available um, to do this, so we are getting involved to that extent that we will be speaking with any healthcare professionals and to help guide them and ensure that they're getting the proper care that they need. This must require a, a significant amount of staff from the bank. I mean, people who have some expertise in speaking to doctors, speaking to nurses, speaking to that assisted living facility, have some significant knowledge of insurance issues, both uh, national and, and the Florida, you know, since you're based in Florida. Right. You, where are these? They're all part of this management team? No, what we do is um, some of these things we are working together with with care management, but with care management uh, companies or care managers, individual care oh, managers. Okay. And But in a lot of these cases, a lot of us do have a pretty strong uh, background and experience, and, and uh, we do go through quite a bit of ongoing training ourselves. And in working in this in this field over time, a number of these things we can do. But we will um, seek out um, the, the definitely the advice in many cases of, of care managers um, when it's very when it becomes very complex. When we're talking about very substantial types of um, health issues that are, of course, beyond um, what we what we are, you know, typically dealing with. And in that case, I'm thinking more of, of mental health issues um, that can occur with some of our clients that, such as dementia, for example, right. or or some of these other things, that, that requires a much more higher standard of, of care in many instances and someone uh, to ensure that they are on the proper medications um, and also working together with the doctors to ensure that the client um, is not having adverse effects and and trying to find a really a, a kind of an e- equilibrium. So when it gets to be that complex, we are reaching out to you know the, the professionals that that are dealing strictly with healthcare. But most of us do have a, a pretty strong uh, background with regard to a number of these issues. Typically, though, we are we have legal backgrounds. Um, because we're also dealing with um, advising our clients on, for example, trust documents, their estate plans. Um, we're dealing at times with, with tax issues, uh, things of that nature. So most of us are really coming more from a legal type of background. But um, over the years in working in this area and having to constantly be trained, uh, with regard to the various issues that pertain to aging, 
we gain certainly the education and and the experience in this area. So uh, I, we have about a minute left. So mm-hmm. I, I just have to because this is an an amazing program, and you're telling me that not every major bank has a similar type of a program that that Wells Fargo has has initiated. Is that correct? That is correct. And I got to ask you a question in the 45 seconds we have left. Okay. Why? This seems to be a natural. I mean, obviously, it's good business for the bank, and it keeps clients happy and and really ensures a relationship. But why? Well, they are starting. They are starting, but I'm I'm very proud that Wells Fargo uh, was the first, but they are starting uh, to reach out in this area. Given the... You know the the aging population and and the baby boomers that are, uh, you know, <laughs> growing older with each day and and seemingly um, retiring and and reaching Social Security age, it it is an absolute um, necessity almost because everyone will utilize and need some form of of assistance. That's definite, and we're all living longer. Thank God. Anyway, Denise, we're just about out of time as the music is playing, so I want to thank you for being a guest here on Boomer Generation Radio. Denise Letow from uh, Wells Fargo and uh, really this unbelievable program called Life Management Services, and I want to thank you very much. Continue good luck with this, uh, and I wish you just... Lots of success with this great idea. So thank you very much, Denise. Uh, To all of you, uh, thank you for joining us again on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you same time, 10 a.m. Eastern, next week, next Tuesday, here on WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. Stay healthy.